0: Hello, everyone. I'm Rania Kalik, and this is Dispatches. Trump hasn't been president for more than three years, yet the horrors at the border have continued. Migrants are still being rounded up, placed in detention, and deported. Families are still being separated. And the border is still being heavily militarized. This isn't isolated to the U.S.-Mexico border, which acts in many ways as a laboratory for border technology around the world— Many of the most vicious policies we've seen play out there have been exported to other parts of the world so that elites in the global north can prevent the human consequences of their imperialist policies from getting in the way of a savagely unequal system that benefits a few while vast swaths of humanity suffer. The cruelty at the border reached new heights under Trump, but now that he's out of office, much of liberal America has looked away. Most of them went back to brunch, never to be seen again, because it was never about migrants. It was about which party was doing the deporting. This has always been a bipartisan border industrial complex, crafted to intentionally cause people to die of thirst in the Arizona desert and drown in the Mediterranean Sea as a form of deterrence. It isn't some accident or a matter of unintended consequences to enforce the law. It's death by design, How did this happen? Why are people picking up and leaving their countries in the first place? Why are they being subjected to so much cruelty on their journey, no matter who's in charge in Europe or the US? Where does the Israeli occupation of Palestine fit in? How about climate change? Who's benefiting? And how is this feeding into the rise of the far right? Joining me to discuss all of this is Todd Miller, journalist and author of several books including Border Patrol Nation, Empire of Borders, and his latest Build Bridges, Not Walls, a journey to a world without borders. But before we jump into it, this is just the first half of this episode. The second half is available for Breakthrough News members only. You can become a member at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. Todd, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Rania.
0: It's so good to have you on. And you know, I don't know if people who've been who have like maybe haven't been around watching dispatches from the beginning. know, but like you were in the very first segment I did for dispatches talking about the situation on the border. That was about that was a little over two years ago. And sadly, sadly, not much has changed. (laughs) Um, And there's like there's so much I mean, I don't even you know, when I was thinking about what we were going to talk about and how. It's almost like overwhelming because as you've written about in so many of your books, I mean, the situation of not just the U.S.-Mexico border, but borders worldwide is so all-encompassing. It's attached and connected to so many other issues. So I decided the best place to start uh, for reasons of what's been in the news and then also the fact that you just came back from Greece is one of the most horrific things that happened recently. It was back in June and You wrote about this and interviewed somebody about it. And that is the fact that about 600 people died uh, in the Mediterranean, uh, off the coast, basically, of, like, a Greek island and what was one of the most deadliest uh, of these sort of, like, shipwreck tragedies uh, ever recorded in the Mediterranean. Um, But, you know, it's important to emphasize that, like, this wasn't necessarily an accident, and I want to get into that with you, but since uh, you, you note this in your piece that since 2014, Over 27,000 migrants have gone missing in the Mediterranean. Um, And it's been referred to as a big open sea of graves. And I know that you, you know, your focus is a lot more on the U.S.-Mexico border, but you've kind of written about how so much of this extends to other borders around the world. And this is like one of, I guess, the most deadly is this sort of sea crossing that we've seen. So can you talk about what happened and how it could have been prevented before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of, all the border militarization.
1: Sure, yeah. I mean, I view what happened in in June off the coast of Greece with the ship capsizing, it turns out it, it seems like the Greek coast guard did respond to that and uh were pushing the ship um and uh it sunk while well in that whole process. So the fact that the Greek Coast Guard was very much involved in in what happened there is also something to think about when we think about um, what you know the the um, what happened there this this tragedy of you know where approximately six hundred people are presumed dead right and then on top of that the 20, the other figure you mentioned Rania of twenty seven thousand people that that are known right like we have to make we have to underscore that you know that are known um to have gone missing or or died crossing through the mediterranean since 2014 and then if you tally the the numbers before then they just pile up and um the the organization that does those figures the international organization on migration iom they um they they say straight out, you know, that uh, that those numbers are way drastic undercounts. Um, and uh, and then there are always um, these sorts of incidents, this, the, the what happened in, in Greece in June or any of the other. There's so many to, to discuss these sort of incidents. And, and this also, I think, will apply to other borders around the world, including the U.S.-Mexico one. That where people die are often presented as accidents, right? Oh, it's an accident. Oh, why was this ship in the middle of the Mediterranean? Or why, you know, the blame gets shifted on, you know, the the off, you know, in the U.S. and I'm assuming in Europe as well. Um, it gets shifted to oh, who is the person smuggling? You know the right. the kind of smuggler narrative or quote unquote trafficker, right? Uh, narrative, um, and um, and it goes the and I'm talking about the general media narrative, and then it doesn't go into what have been longstanding policies. And um, whether you are on the U.S. Mexico border or on the European border or many borders, I would argue this sort of what I would what's called in the United States a prevention through deterrence um, strategy that's been used on the U S Mexico border since 1994. And then in the Caribbean, even before that, like a decade or two before that. So the kind of sea maritime border scape, um, you can see that in, in the U S borderlands, but in the water, right. in the in the Caribbean specifically. And, um, and that, the, that sort of, strategy um is what i how i view what happened with this with the ship capsizing in greece this is it's basically to, to the same strategy the deterrence strategy that the european union now uses you could say greece but i would say the eu and the frontex and the, the whole kind of border apparatus that's being developed and Exponentially, the the kind of funding that's going into Frontex, which is based the basically the, the agency behind the European border, um, the the European border guards, that has the funding to that. I was just read a figure yesterday, and I'm not going to be able to remember. But it was something like it's increased by two thousand seven hundred percent or something like that from 2006 to 2021. So that emphasis on putting this this enforcement apparatus and the whole strategy of of enforcement apparatus is to force people into dangerous crossings, right? Whether it be the, the, the deserts where I live in Arizona, where I am right now, the Mediterranean, any sort of other sea crossing, any other desert around the world, you know, you look at it and you see people crossing through um, really treacherous areas. And um, that is definitely what, what happened um in in June and I think you, I think it's a super important to then contextualize and think about these deaths in those terms as a policy issue a policy choice policy choices mm-hmm. made by countries um and to understand that if there weren't if if the border apparatus wasn't built up like it was so people were forced to go into these these treacherous crossings then there these deaths wouldn't happen um the people wouldn't die it's super important to think of that because that right there is the solution to to people not dying it's that simple
0: yeah I'm so happy you raised that and I actually have the uh the I didn't know about the Caribbean policy you were talking about but I have this Border Patrol manual that I'd like to show from 1994, just so people know. I mean, it's written right here. This is like what the policy you're talking about, the sort of like death by design uh, is really based on. And, you know, okay, this is just the uh, this is national strategy. Right. This is like a U.S. government document prepared by the U.S. Border Patrol. I just wanted people to see the front cover so they know I'm not lying. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I think there's certain parts that are important to emphasize This concept, it says concept. Um, For those who are just listening, I'm reading straight from the document. It says the Border Patrol will improve control of the border by implementing a strategy of prevention through deterrence. And then it goes on to say, like, because the deterrent effect of apprehensions isn't effective in stopping the flow until apprehensions approach 100%, which, of course, you can't really do, Uh, The strategic objective is to one, right, maximize the apprehension rate, which is basically like arresting people and deporting them. But then it goes on to say, although 100 percent apprehension rate is an unrealistic goal, we believe we can achieve a rate of apprehensions sufficiently high to raise the risk of apprehensions to the point that many people will consider it futile to continue to attempt illegal entry. So one way they want to you know get people to stop coming is to basically arrest as many people as possible who are crossing. Then it goes on to say the prediction is that with traditional entry and smuggling routes disrupted, illegal traffic will be deterred or forced over more hostile terrain, less suited for crossing and more suited for enforcement, right? So when they talk about more hostile terrain here, you're talking about like the areas of the desert that are very difficult to cross through because as you've written about uh, plenty, Todd, the idea, right, is to like make these areas that are easier to cross through. Uh, very, very difficult. That's where you put all your enforcement mechanisms, and then it forces people into literally what they're calling more hostile terrain. And I'm, I'm just reading some of the highlighted parts here. And the idea is to increase the, quote, cost to a legal entrance to the point of deterring repeated attempts. I mean— This is literally the death by design. This is literally to cause people to go into the most dangerous terrain to either get picked up and arrested or to die. Um, And I just want to show like, this is, you're not making this up. This is written out in policy here. And this is what's been exported around the world, whether we're talking about the US Mexico border, where people are forced into these desert areas where then they end up like dying of thirst or like breaking a leg and can't make the rest or get lost and die. Or in the Mediterranean, where people end up on these ships where that end up capsizing, um, and then lots of people die by the hundreds in this case. Um, I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that. I just really wanted to, like, kind of take your point home here, because this is literally policy.
1: No, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, it's great to see the actual document. And, you know, this—and it's it's amazing, you know, you here's this document um, from 1994— and you think, oh, but that's from 1994, so that's from a while ago. And it's like, no, well, <laughs> that's basically this. That's that. I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm screaming at the top of my lungs because, uh, <laughs> sad, because you see, you see in the in the kind of more mainstream media, right, that how little the that strategy is mentioned, and it's like this strategy has been going on for decades now, like, how could you not know this? How could you not mention this? How can this, how can you just like go into uh, as so often, like in, in the U S you know, the CBP customs of border protection will go into that smuggler narrative. And then the media will just be stenographers, right? They'll go, Oh yeah. And then, (laughs) and then the whole sort of policy, the whole strategy policy, the whole thing that's, that it's all rooted in gets completely ignored and um and so so yeah thank you for yeah sh- showing like where it's rooted
0: it's disgusting it's actually disgusting but then to go back to like the europe example before we move to the u.s you know there's not something else you mentioned in that piece you um where you interviewed that woman about the situation in greece and that was i hadn't heard of this before it's called the pushback policy can you explain what that is i had no idea this was going on
1: yeah, so I'm I'm kind of new new to this myself, but like learning about it on um, the pushback policy is wow, it's um from what I understand, it's um a policy that's being used by the again the European Union. Um it seems it seems like it's very much a part of the strategy and um what happens is that, you know, if say the Greek coast guard encounters a ship that's filled with people who are migrating um, have it, instead of even instead of arresting you know, or stopping the ship and arresting people, it will push the ship back into other waters like Turkish waters we'll say. And, um, and, and that's sort of, and, and dangerously. So, right. Like, so, when like learning about these pushback and this, and this is a this isn't just an anomaly right this isn't something that's just happening once in a while it's actually a very much a big part of the policy um that we're seeing in the European Union and it's been going on for for a while now there's uh, even the new york times wrote a wrote a piece where they got a pushback on videos that people might want to check out but um but that whole sort of pushback falls right into the prevention through deterrence i think like this uh, yet again it's i i tend to like look at everything through that lens of that of that Mm -hmm. base policy and of course when you when when a ship is packed full with people dangerously so possibly teetering at risk of capsizing right and it's coming into you know certain waters to a destination, which it needs to reach to be, to, to, to arrive there safely. And then it's, then it's pushed back. Um, that could, I mean, there's, there's, there's a dead, there could, there are potentially deadly consequences to that, um, that sort of strategy.
0: Well, also like, um, the other, I mean, there's so many consequences to all this and I kind of want this to to use this to segue into something that I think is very much in parallel with what's happening in the U S and I'm quoting, can you remind me, what's this woman's name? I don't have it in front of me. I was just looking for it. The one you interviewed uh, for this piece.
1: Lauren Markham. Um, yeah, and Lauren she has Markham. an
0: upcoming, she has a forthcoming book. I don't, I don't know if it's out yet, but you mentioned it. the spring. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So she says, I'm quoting from what she says in your in your interview with her. Uh, in the early years of the refugee arrivals, which began in mass in 2015, many Greeks were remarkably welcoming, transforming their fishing boats into search and rescue vessels. Um, their taverns, the tavernas into mess halls, their homes into shelters, their beaches into emergency command centers. But in years since, the Greek government has been adopting a more hardline anti-immigration stance. This is in part because Europe as a whole has essentially foisted the administration and logistics of its regional refugee crisis onto its border countries, places like Italy and Greece, which are already struggling economically. Greece, for instance, is still reeling from the economic crash of 2008 and the austerity policies of the northern European banks. The ongoing economic crisis in Greece has found predictable fall, guys. Asylum seekers, in part, the refugees outgrew their welcome. But nationalistic and exclusionary rhetoric had something to do with this, too. If people in power tell stories about refugees bringing diseases and crime and not belonging... That's how more and more people begin to see them. We know this very well here in the U.S. And just like in the U.S., right-wingers have used immigration and the tired but successful ploy of blaming immigrants for domestic woes as a rallying point to get more votes. I'm sorry to report that it's worked. And so the reason I wanted to read that is I think it's really important in the European context, first of all, in the way that the sort of anti-immigrant stuff has fed into the rise of the far right quite successfully. But also, I mean, we remember Trump when he first ran and won, ran on a platform that was like, one, anti-ISIS, anti-Islam, but two, anti-immigrant. And I think that was actually more the center of it. And I think we're going to see that again in this upcoming race. But I guess that's to raise the issue of, like, fortress Europe, fortress America. Um, And I know this isn't exactly, like, the, the thing that you focus on, but, I mean, it is important for people to understand that this stuff does end up leading to the rise of the far right. And we see that happening in the U S and I imagine you're in Arizona, like that probably plays huge in Arizona.
1: Yeah. You do definitely see um, that correlation between that sort of border national, like nationalistic border Xeno and which I would argue just quickly goes to xenophobia, um, um racism, and, um, that th- it just, it just is a, it's the way that the border policy set up, it's set up like, it's, it's so interesting. Cause you have that, ra- you have, you have s- different, different like narratives that go along with the borders. And one of them is a squeaky clean one. Like, oh, we need our borders to, you know you have to have borders to, <laughs> you know, no country can exist without a border. You know, that uh, I think Trump said that, but if you listen, you'll, you'll hear, um, A bunch of Democrats say that same exact thing. I think I I heard somebody I can't remember who. I think it was RFK Jr. He said that (gasps) like yesterday. He said we need, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yes. It's like we need to have a border, you know, and 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 it's and it's and it's like like the border itself is if you look at it, it's it's totally about thwarting, you know, people using xenophobic often racist sort of um, narratives to justify it. Um, whether it's blatant, like Trump, right? Like mm-hmm. you're seeing from Trump, which then, like you say, you know, that's sort of blatant rhetoric then fans the fires of what you never know what, right? In Arizona, it manifests often with our ongoing uh militia groups that like to come and hang on the border. Um We've had a group from QAnon that's, that's been, uh, been on the border. Though? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Kind of. of, I that. don't know. They, 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 they claim to be humanitarians that are saving the t- unaccompanied minors from traffickers. That's, that's what they claim. And they've been, like sitting on the border in Arizona now for a while. I don't know how big their presence is, but they'll sit and wait for people to cross. And then, yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. Um, But that's sort of a connection with, with, uh, with militias and, and you, you see that we've seen the, we've, I mean, I've seen, I've been in Arizona for three decades and I've seen it since the get-go right and since the 90s and 2000s and you just go on and on and and so and so like so you have these those these narr- these narratives right in the narr- and and there's one that's more overt and there's one that's more covert and um but they a- end up doing the same thing right and so it, it really
0: exactly and it does speak to the whole notion that like this is completely bipartisan regardless of how it's politicized whether it's like in the more right wing way or the more liberal way the policies are completely bipartisan and we're totally going to talk about that but first i just wanted to point out another thing that she mentioned about europe which is that it's externalized its border enforcement to border countries like greece right and that to me sounds awfully familiar to something you've written about quite 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 extensively which is the way that the us has externalized it's border enforcement, uh, to like basically pushing the border into Latin America. Can you explain that? I guess what you've called layered strategy of enforcement that ends up essentially outsourcing border enforcement to countries further South.
1: Yeah, I think this is what people should be looking at right now. If you look at us border strategy, I think there's two things, prevention through deterrence, which you just mentioned, um, and then external is the externalization, and I think it goes hand in hand with what Europe's doing. And of course, Europe is also going to other countries uh, out of outside of the European Union, right? Like and Libya, and, and, uh, for, Libya one, f- right? for example, yeah. um, Algeria, Morocco, Egypt, um, Turkey, and 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 giving a lot of money to these countries to then for border enforcement, really. And that's this whole idea of pushing out your border uh, as, uh, and, and from the U S context, if you hear what officials say, pushing it out as far, as far as you possibly can to stop people from coming to the, this is their official rhetoric. I think there's more to it, but this is official rhetoric to stop people from coming to the, to the United States in this specific one to the United States, as, long, for, as far away from as far as far away as possible, and so you have um, so you so and from the us context is it's it was going on pre nine eleven but it's a very much a post 9 eleven phenomenon where a huge emphasis began on on this externalization and you can look one of the easy slash interesting places to look is the Mexico-Guatemala border. It's been a point of emphasis for now a couple decades. They've attempted to, like, even from 9 uh even, like, pre-9-11, right before the 9-11 attacks, George W. Bush uh, reached out to Vicente Fox, who who was the president of Mexico, and said, hey, can you build up your border with Guatemala? And if you do so, we'll... We'll do like a sort of we'll go for a comprehensive immigration reform package. And of course, that was and what happened was Mexico started this plan sur like their southern border plan at that time. But it was all blown to pieces when when 9-11 happened. And of course, the 9-11 just just set off a whole new trajectory in, in which the United States just began pressuring mexico um and other and beyond and 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 the idea of externalizing the border which i should say i should back up and say what this is exactly um it so by externalizing the border i mean the like the united states what they do to get to get the process there are actual actual people they go out and diagnose borders they're like I hate to say it this way, but I keep, I always think of it this way. They're like border doctors. They go to borders. They're usually f- from CBP or DHS, and they'll try. And I interviewed um, some of these people for, for one of my books. Um, and they'll go and they'll go to different countries, and they'll look at the border, and they'll go, oh, your border is lacking it's porous right you'll they use these words like that porous um that you need to get a border patrol like in 2006 for example the united states sent a team to dominican republic haiti border and they went there and they said oh there's a lot of illicit things people goods crossing the border it's porous you need to start a border patrol so lo and behold 2007 rolls around and the Dominican Republic by presidential decree announces oh we're going to start our new border patrol so they start this it's called CESFRONT C E S F R O N T but that's basically the border patrol of the Dominican Republic um and um when i went there and and i was on the ground in the Dominican Republic it was a, several years later 2012 um i it was so in, it was so interesting to go to the border where cesfront was because the, basically, the CESS front, um, the 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 Dominican Border Guard was situated in Dajabón, right across, right on the border on the Massacre River. And they were situated sitting on their exes. I And that's a term that the U.S. Border Patrol uses, sitting on our X's. Um, basically, they, they go and they, they'll sit right directly on the border. Every quarter mile or so, there'll be another agent so that... So what will happen in like cities, this is part of the prevention to deterrence strategy. In cities, you'll have one Border Patrol agent after the other, after the other, after the other. And they just sit there and they watch the wall and the fence and into Mexico. And that's precisely what they were doing in the Dominican Republic, which is so totally logical because guess who trained... The Dominican Border Guard, right? Wait, let me US guess. US. Let
0: me guess. Let me guess. It was the U.S. Border Patrol. Am I right? What do I get? You were right. You were okay? Right.
1: I remember I went to the a commander. I had to get permission from a commander in Santo Domingo to even get there in the first place. And I get to his desk, and proudly on his desk was you know like a bobble. You know those bobblehead things that you get at sports at sporting events with like athletes. Yeah. He had a bo- he had like this bobblehead. Of a U.S. Border Patrol agent. That's on, so on
0: weird! Then, yeah. Oh my yeah. god!
1: Yeah, that's creepy. Yeah, I couldn't okay. keep my eyes off of it. I kept to, like he was talking. I was, is like, like custom
0: made, or is that yeah. like somewhere? I didn't know that was a thing. Jesus. Oh, okay.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't know if it was custom made or not, but yeah. it was definitely wow. a present. I'm sure he got from yeah from that. But that anyhow. That's that's like. They they started a, they they did the president the, they did the assessment the diagnostic and then then the United States comes in and they and I was able to in this case I was able to FOIA the redacted I got like lots of redacted pages but you could see that the United States sent tons of equipment to the Dominican Republic along with training them and this this is part of the border externalization right. Um, yeah. This is what it, what it is, and it applies in one way to the Dominican Republic. Their wall was pre- pretty much like protest board barricades at that point, but they were still sitting behind them. But if you go to Mexico, they don't have a wall. They're not building a wall. There's nothing like that. It's different, right? You go there, and I, I want to stress this, and I'll shut up about this, but um, I want stre- to stress this because—, uh, because you go, you see a lot of officials that go to the Mexico Guatemala border and they'll sit in Ciudad Hidalgo, which is right on the border. And it's, there's a port of entry. They'll, they'll sit up on top of this bridge where people are supposed to cross and they'll look down and they'll see all these rafts crossing back and forth and they'll go. And they'll, (laughs) I've read so many of these reports. they're They're just, it's a completely open border here. You know, what's going on in Mexico. And, um, in reality, it's it's completely the opposite. The United States has just been This has been a, a project for the United States for a long time. There's a certain zone right along the border where people do cross pretty freely. But if you go like a mile past that zone, you you start going through a gauntlet of checklets, a literal gauntlet of checklets. A check checklist, What
0: am I checklets checkpoints?
1: Checkpoint. Check, yeah, checkpoints. <laughs> Right, and so to like go further north into Mexico, um, like just uh, like a hundred miles to Arriaga from Tapatula, and that's Tapatula is on the border Ariaga Arriaga is a little bit inland. That's where people go to catch the train to go north. I've ca- I count the m- number of checkpoints every time I go through. It's like a hundred and oh, not hundred, like ten to fifteen, wow. including a mega checkpoint that's the size of a shopping mall that was completely well. It was financed by the United States, right? The size,
0: the of, a I, right. The size of a shopping mall. I'm Hang on. I'm sorry. The size of a shopping mall. What? Yes.
1: Every time I go into this checkpoint, because you have to literally pull off the highway, and you you start going by these big buildings, and you're like, wow, are we coming to <laughs> the shopping mall in my town? Like, what, what are we going shopping here? And then all of a sudden, you look out the window, and oh, then you see all the soldiers walking around. Wow, and
0: that sounds dystopian. Beautiful.
1: Yeah, it's pretty dystopian, and it's not the border, but they make you get off the bus, and um, they make you get your bags out, and they make you show your documents. It's almost like going through another another border crossing, um, and so that's a part of that, right? So that's how Mexico, man. You, you can go to different places, and I you can go to different countries, and it's and it's not only the Western Hemisphere. It's there's the United States' border extension is going. It's a, it's all over the world, actually.
0: That's Well, that's where you get into the whole U.S.-Mexico border is like a laboratory kind of thing because, like, there's like a whole border industrial complex that you have also written about extensively. And, you know, in this uh, more recent piece, uh, which we talked to you about on the freedom side— our weekly live stream on Breakthrough News, uh, f- like I think about a month ago, we talked about a recent piece you wrote called The Real Border Surge. Um, and you talk about how uh, under Biden, the DHS, the oh, I'm sorry, the Customs and Border Patrol slash ICE portion of the DHS budget has gone up by like $3 billion above 2022 levels, um, including $2.7 billion for new requirements in our southwestern border. And you, you say, I'm quoting you. In other words, the coming surge at the border was distinctly budgetary. For context, when Donald Trump was in office in 2017, his budget for his CBP ICE budget was $21.2 billion. Sorry, that's to compare to the budget under Biden being $29.8 billion. Anyways, by 2020, it had gone up to $25.4 billion. Again, Biden's at $29.8 billion. In other words, it took Biden four years or it took Trump four years to do what the Biden administration essentially did in one. The last time there has been such a jump was from 9.4 billion in 2005 to 12.4 billion in 2007, which shows you just the bipartisan nature of this. And before we get into some of that bipartisan history, can you talk a little bit about some of the crazy like insane equipment that people, these border patrol companies are like profiting off of uh, to sell to the U.S. government, including robo dogs. Um, and this is part of the U.S. like border laboratory, because all of that, once it's used at the U.S. border, then it's like a stamp of approval. Uh, also, same is true for the Israeli uh, fake borders that nobody recognizes with the areas it occupies, though I say it all is occupied, but whatever the areas it occupies recognize occupied internationally Also another kind of border laboratory that's exported around the world. But anyways, can you talk about that kind of border industrial complex where you have these companies profiting off of selling like this kind of security equipment and technology to police borders? Sure. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear the rest, you can access it by becoming a Breakthrough News member at patreon.com slash breakthrough news.